1: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Troy Dini to my João Pedro. It's just impeach. Good, good day to you Ryan. How are you sir?
2: Yeah not bad, that threw me off a little bit. Why? I don't know, I just, the Troy Dini came into it and then I, was, I didn't know where it was going to go and then João Pedro came into it and just, yeah it just confused me to hell.
1: Yeah. Usually it would be a compliment but after the season he's been having it's... um anything but at the moment on the show today we have with us Ryan Hildred from Blackburn's Rovers chat how are you doing Ryan I'm very well thanks Ryan not too bad how are you I am tremendous good sir and we've also got with us Jack Dawson from the Bristol City podcast BS3 talk Jack are you well good afternoon
3: yeah very well thanks a bit better after yesterday's game given the recent ones but no all good thanks all
1: good lovely stuff so on the show today we'll have a run through all the games we'll have the news it's mainly derby county orientated <laughs> the news but we'll get to that in a bit later on and then we'll finish off with simon grayson's hateful eight but we'll start off with a game between two teams who have seemingly been chasing the playoffs now for the past four years bristol city and Preston. it finished two nil thanks to goals by Famara jeju and zach viner what a finish by Viner, by the way. Slicing it into the goal. Fantastic. Either way, Jack, it was a much-needed win considering you lost four of your last five league games before this. What did you make of the game?
3: It was funny because with Preston, we always seem to be in around each other in terms of league position and in the same leagues. But we actually beat them at home. I think it was 11 years to the day. Yes, it we last beat them at home. I saw that the iPad had been released since. Justin Bieber was, you know, fresh on the scene. But no, it was good to finally get one over them. It's odd considering we've been around them so long. But... The performance, I thought it was a lot better because I think you guys touched on last week. We've been dreadful for most of the season, to be honest. We had a bit of an injury crisis, but we seemed quite good at picking up results. But yesterday was the first time in a long time that I can say, you can say that before, the performance was good. and We deserved to win it over the course of the game. I think Preston had a spell, you know, at the end of the first half, in the second half. But other than that, we were dominant. We would look more fluid because we've been quite rigid lately. We've seen Lee Johnson and Dean Holland both seem keen on um, home players stick to their position and always be... Yeah, quite solid, but it was it was very predictable at times. Whereas I think yesterday we had Casey Palmer, you know, popping up on either side. He's has been in the left
1: before, but he was everywhere on the pitch. I think we looked a lot more dangerous for it. Mm. The one Robin on Twitter summed up the performance by saying, finally. Uh, there was a lot of change to the side, actually. Hakib Abdelakun and Kaysa Palmer, as you said, uh, both came into the side after being recalled from their respective loan spells. Fumara Jeju was up front. Zach Viner was moved from defence into midfield. But the most eye-catching change to the team was Alfie Morton who played in the Cup, but this was his first league appearance since October. How important is it to have him back?
3: I think it's no coincidence that since our form really dropped off a cliff, I think that was when Alfie Mawson got injured against Middlesbrough. Because we started really well, won our first four games. I think, yeah, we started really well, but then he got injured. And I think him and Thomas Callas, I think that is the core of our team. That's the spine we've needed because for so long, we've, you know, we've had, we have so many injury problems at the club. But I think Mawson, I got some stats from yesterday, the second most interceptions, the most clearances, the most passes, the most touches, the most aerials won, the most tackles won. He's a brick wall. I think in him and Callas, we have, Two players that can easily play in the Premier League, in my opinion. They're two great defenders. They're two great leaders. And I think, whilst Zach Bynum and Taylor Moore are good players, they're, they're almost young and still kind of learning their trade at this level. Whereas I think Mawson and Callas, I don't think you'll find, fully fit, I don't think you'll find many better pairings in the Championship for pure quality and experience of getting promoted in this division.
1: Well, Jack, I know you listened to last week's episode where we both picked Bristol City as the team most likely to drop down the table in the second half of the season. Uh, do you agree with what we said? And has Saturday's result changed your thinking in any way? Uh, when I was listening, I
3: remember I was particularly frustrated at the club because there was this... I kind of agree with everything you said. There was this rumour coming going out that Joe Williams, our marquee summer signing from Wigan, a player we couldn't wait to see, hasn't featured yet, of course. There was rumours... I think perhaps rightly, because it was from the Athletic, that's a very you know, trustworthy source usually that the players, especially Joe Williams, been, there's tension between him and the medical team, which is very interesting because you don't normally hear that kind of thing leaked into the press. But if you look at it on paper, I think we've got the worst injury record in the Championship and the Premier League this season. We've had Jada Silva, Nathan Baker, Liam Welsh, Stephen sesson young Jimmy Patterson, Calum O'Dowda, Andy Vyman, Cam Fring and Joe Williams himself, Alfie Mawson just returning all out injured at the minute. and. I think what you said, I think it, it, with Dean Holden, it's difficult to judge him, I think, until we get a team back. But like you said, we hadn't really dominated the game all season. We were winning games, scruffy games by fine margins, one goal wins. But I think yesterday was the first time we've really asserted our dominance on a team and gone at them rather than sitting back, you know, counter-attacking. Because we didn't really have an identity before yesterday. We looked fluid. I think Casey Palmer was the big addition because he's the one... He may make us more vulnerable defensively, because even as a left winger, he would drift inside, leave a lot of space behind. But, you know, it makes the game more entertaining. Why not? I think I'd rather have Casey Palmer there, creating chances, but also leaving us more open than having someone like, I don't know, a Delican or someone like Vyman who's a functional player. But again, it's just a bit boring, whereas Casey Palmer just, yeah, much better to watch, much better to watch with him in the team. But I did agree with everything you said, really.
1: Yeah, he adds a bit of creativity, doesn't he? Because uh, that's something that Bristol City have really been lacking ever since injuries to the likes of Patterson, Walsh and what have you. For Preston, Justin, they had a green patch over Christmas, didn't they? But that's been followed up by two straight losses in the league Uh, we were talking about Bristol City ringing the changes Preston gave debuts to new signings Ben Whiteman and Daniel Everson but Ben Pearson wasn't included in the squad after telling Alex Neal his future wasn't at the club it does feel like it's a bit of a transition period for Preston doesn't it the
2: next few months of the season definitely going to be a transition but as you say you know after three straight wins it's two straight defeats which is it's been typical pressing this season and perhaps that lends to the state they're in as a squad a lot of players out of contract uh, and, they, and they've got to bring in those uh, they've got to bring in replacements and it's it's going to be as i say an interesting few months they've got Molumbi, ledson brown johnson whiteman all to come in at center mid johnson played but he's out of contract brown signed a new, a new deal which is good but it's it's the pressing we've come to expect of late and um i think the next few months is just going to be as you say a bit of a transition for them
1: Definitely. Blackburn won, Stoke won, the two playoff chasing sides sharing a point each at Ewood Park. Uh, Ryan, this seemed to me like a rather even game that could have gone either way. Stoke perhaps edging it?
0: Uh, Stoke definitely edged it. So Rovers gained a point really rather than earning a point. Um, We did a lot of preview on Rovers chat about how this game would go and the fact it would be a very turgid, slow game, particularly with our pitch at the moment. And I was actually quite impressed with Stoke and the way that they came at us in the first half. They just looked more alert, more alive, really causing us problems. And and we did well to go in at halftime, only one nil down because they hit the post and Kaminsky made a good save as well. And really, we got a goal out of nowhere. Um, debatable whether Harvey L.A. keeps the ball in and, and Buckley taps it in. And then Chester gets sent off and you're thinking... Wow, we could actually go on and win this, but the last 10 minutes, really, we didn't have that big chance to go and win the game. And I think Stoke will feel pretty aggrieved with a draw, actually, and and we're lucky to get the draw.
1: Well, you say you're lucky to get the draw, but Adam Armstrong had a goal disallowed for offside. Replays showed it to be questionable, to say the very least. What did you think of it?
0: well he was definitely onside it wasn't questionable um i don't think we were <laughs> i don't think we were playing particularly well at that point anyway and i don't really want to focus on the offside however you know the stats do back rovers up when we take the lead we invariably go on to win games i think it's 25 points from the 27 available when we've took the lead so you could argue that that game would have would gone you know go a lot differently had that goal stood and, and we go in 1-0 at half time but as i say it wasn't a really fluid performance and We've got a bit of a problem now, actually, with our side. We've all been waiting for Dak and Travis to come back into this side, but it's actually caused Mowbray no end of problems because this formation does not suit them.
1: Okay. well, Stoke's biggest threat from this game, Justin, was, without a doubt, Nick Powell. He got a goal and nearly had as many shots as the whole Blackburn team put together. (laughs) Uh, When he wants to be, he is a magnificent player, isn't he, Justin?
2: He is, and for some reason, he's he's become very good in the air. He's he's scored a few headers this season, which for a number ten you just do not expect. But he's surpassed last season's total of uh, five goals. He's now got six for the season, which is which is good for him. And staying fit. He, I mean, since um, since the Huddersfield win back in uh, November, he's been pivotal to them because he's been the, the main threat going forward. Because they're missing they're missing key, pe- uh, key people up front.
1: Mm. Well, Blackburn have only won two in their last nine, Ryan, and I was having a look around on Twitter, and there just seem to be a few Rovers fans who are disgruntled with the way Tony Mowbray's managing the size. Is it a case of the supporters think he should be doing better with a team which is fairly talented?
0: Yeah, I think we've reached the tipping point now, actually, where more people are probably looking for that manager change, which it's a shame to see because Mowbray has really rescued the club. You know, when you think where we were in 16, 17, we were in dire straits, but he's sorted everything out off the field now. Um, If it's done respectfully, you know, I don't mind people calling for Mowbray because, you know, it's risk and reward in this division, isn't it? Um, But yeah let's consider where we were at the start of the season. We had strength in depth for the first time. Off the field, everything was stable. We've got the Championship's top goal scorer. Talented players in Harvey Elliott joining us on loan. It just felt like everything was there to get closer to the playoffs. And it's probably looking like we're not going to do that now unless we go on some kind of, you know, Aston Villa-style run that they did when they got promoted. So it's disappointing. And, you know, I feel really bad for Mowbray because he's just such a lovely bloke, but... There is that accusation. Are we playing like Mowbray as a manager? Do we have that X factor? Have we got that leader in the dressing room that's holding everyone to account? That's the thing that I think is missing. You know, that Roy Keane character in the dressing room that's saying, hey, this ain't good enough. That's what we're missing in Rovers' side at the moment, I think. Mm.
1: Is it a case of, do you think Mowbray's taken Rovers as far as he can?
0: Possibly. I'm still on the fence with it because I say on our channel all the time, I remember those away games and some home games, actually, where we never had possession. We never had a shot on target. And he's addressed that. So first and foremost, now we are a side that keeps the ball. And I think a lot of your listeners will probably look at Rovers and say, actually, they are a side that keep the ball as well. We look really good. So as a core style of play, he's sorted that. But you've got to get results, haven't you? And and Michael O'Neill, who we came up against yesterday, we previewed Stoke a lot. When it matters, Stoke get the results. And Rovers' record against the sides in the top 12 says it all, really. And and that's the bit where Mowbray's coming up short. Mm.
1: Well, Brian and Jack, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. As for now, me and Justin, we're going to take you around the grounds and we'll start off with the game between Norwich and Cardiff, which finished 2-1 to the Canaries, thanks to goals from Grant Hanley and Todd Cantwell. Tom Phillips is from the Cardiff podcast, View from the Ninian. And Tom, it seemed like Norwich could have won this by more.
4: Norwich definitely could have scored a few more. The 2-1 scoreline really, really flatters us. We started horrifically again, conceded within three minutes. Which is just the story of our season. We just we start games so so slowly, and then Norwich just dominated from start to finish. I, I didn't expect us to get anything from this game. Norwich are a class above us. They showed they gave us a lesson in football last time we played them. Um, but the two-one flattered us. Norwich had a bit of a wobble in the second half. It was more to do with them stuttering in rather than us increasing quality, but it's just the same old story every week for us now that's five losses on the bounce and we're closer to relegation than we are to playoffs so it's, it's worrying times really the only positive I can really see from that game is the return of Kiefer Moore um, but it's it's not a good time to be a Cardiff fan at the moment yeah we've spoken before
1: about how good Cardiff are at scoring set pieces they've scored the most in the division
4: but on the other hand they're not very good at defending them are they? no you're, you're definitely right there I think a big factor in that is the loss of Kiefer Moore was huge because um, not only was he good at attacking the ball up the field but when it came to corners his presence in the box really helped us out Um Morrison is also now out injured as well Um we've also had the sad news about Bamber as well so he's missing and um, we're just really really short at centre back and it's coming across in, in set pieces now we, we really really struggle to get anyone underneath the ball and Curtis Nelson isn't really hitting the form that he did last year either so um yeah, it's gone from being one of our top strengths, to be honest, to being one of our major, major flaws. Um, it's been really worrying. We we had the likes of Filip Benkovic as well on loan, who's gone back to Leicester. But he only played one half of football for us. And he came on and balls up from a corner as well and gave away a goal. So, yeah, it, nothing's really going for us in terms of um, a centre-back at the moment. And we're really, really suffering in set pieces because of it. Well, there was some good news from the weekend. Max Waters,
1: the young striker from Crawley, has signed for Cardiff after scoring a hatful of goals in League Two this season. Uh, tell us about that. Are you looking forward to seeing him in a Cardiff shirt?
4: I'm actually quite excited by that. Um, you know, it's a, it's a young goal hungry striker, and it's something that we've lacked for a long, long time now. Um, it's a bit different to the signings we've had recently as well. Um, our scouting network is pretty much non-existent. Our our model for signing players has really been see what clubs like Swansea are doing, and then hope to nab the player from underneath them. Um, but no, this this seems like sensible business, and some of the other names we've been linked with as well looks like we're after kind of young players to bring into the squad because we've got a very very aging squad at the moment. So yeah, I'm excited by this. Um, we're really lacking a goal threat at the moment um i've mentioned him twice already to you kiefer moore everything everything we we just seem to rely on kiefer moore for everything we can't keep doing that so you know glatzel hasn't really hit the heights we hoped he would so um yeah i'm excited by this prospect and um yeah hopefully he can get a few goals for, for us before the end of the season and finally tom we
1: had the horrific news that cardiff defender sol Bamba has started chemotherapy after being diagnosed with non hodgkin lymphoma Um, what was your reaction to the news and what's been the reaction from the Cardiff City fan base
4: yeah obviously it was shocking and devastating news really um Sol one of those players that I don't think anyone's got a bad word to say about him Um, he's such a presence around the club um on and off the field like he was a name that was always mentioned as a future manager for us as well um but he, you know, he always had a smile for everyone uh, in and around the club, and I think the messages of support have flooded in from everywhere—not just from supporters of Cardiff, but world football. You—you got the likes of Yaya Torre, the PSG account, and stuff like that, all wishing him well. And no, it's it's devastating news, and it, you know he's a fighter, soul, as you've seen on the pitch. So, hoping he gets through it, um, I'm sure he will. Um, but no, it 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 was really shocking. I just really didn't expect it. Um, But yeah, our thoughts are with him at this time. Cheers, Tom. And of course, we at the
1: second tier also send our best wishes to Seoul. The game, Justin, Tom is absolutely spot on, isn't he? Norwich could have scored more and the result was actually quite flattering from a Cardiff perspective.
2: It was. It was was a dominant win from Norwich. First off, especially, you know, there there was such a threat from set pieces, which when you consider that they've only scored four from set pieces compared to Cardiff, it was it was it was a strange one, but they could have they they could have scored three or four. Um, they weren't they they may be allowed Cardiff back into the game, but it was it was an easy win for
1: for Norwich. I thought Todd Cantwell was great for Norwich. I've had question marks about him this season. I just thought he should be doing better because there was a lot of talk about him when he was in the Premier League last season about him being this quite good talent really and should maybe be staying in the Premier League while Norwich get relegated, but. Um, he's not really lived up to those expectations this season, but that performance against Cardiff was much more like how I've expected him to play this season. Norwich is still top, four points ahead of Swansea in second and eight points ahead of Bournemouth in third, although teams below them have got games in hand. Four straight league losses for Cardiff, 15th in the table, 11 points off the playoffs. It's It's a sorry state of affairs at the moment, isn't it?
2: is it a sorry state of affairs or is you know if it's a sorry state of affairs then you start to feel sorry for yourself that's what it feels like in some senses I don't feel sorry for Cardiff at all because there's just nothing about this Cardiff team that excites me the, the creativity has been sucked out of it you've got players like Shay Oju and Harry Wilson who came in on loan that was exciting but there's no way they've been used to their full potential well their full abilities anyway and defensively they're dreadful they've conceded seven from set pieces this season which is joint third They're a soft touch. They've regressed so much
1: this season. They have, unfortunately, and as you say with the players, they have. They shouldn't. That shouldn't be the case, really. This was a season where they could build upon what they did last season, where they finished superbly, but it's just not happened so far. And Neil Harris is understandably under pressure again. Now, Rotherham won a massive relegation six-pointer away at Derby. Jamie Lindsay scoring the winner in the 86th minute. Joining us now from the second-tier podcast is Derby fan Justin Peach. Justin, hello. Good afternoon. Quite frankly, Rotherham deserved this win, didn't they?
2: They were miles ahead of Derby in terms of work rate, game plan. Uh, everything was, was just better, better than Derby. Derby had the better chances, but Rotherham controlled the game.
1: They did. You just went back to me as I was having a big swig of water. So <laughs> cheers for that. Uh, there were so many good performances for, uh, for Rotherham. Jamie Lindsay obviously got the goal and he was great. Daniel Barlasa is someone oh, yeah. I've been a massive fan of in the middle of the park. He's been running games for Rotherham this season. Matthew Sunday was also class at the back for Rotherham. It was just a very good team performance and they clearly wanted it more than Derby, I thought. The results this weekend seem to have opened up a gap between the bottom four and the rest of the Championship. It's only five points at the moment. But, Justin, I'm finding it difficult to make a case for anyone else getting relegated this season Mm. other than the three of the bottom four, Wickham, Derby, Rotherham and Wednesday. What do you think?
2: I completely agree. There are teams like Millwall and Birmingham City who are on really bad runs. I know Birmingham won, which we'll we'll cover later on. But those teams, they can get sucked into it, potentially. But it's going to take a massive collapse, and as you say, the teams that are down there in the bottom four, they're not very good. They're not. They're not. They're the worst in the league. That's why the, that's why they're in the bottom four. They, they're is, quite clearly the worst how in the it league. Works. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wanted to keep talk of Derby brief because we're going to be talking about them a lot in this episode, especially in the yeah. news later on. They just love hogging the limelight, unfortunately. So, just briefly on Derby. They lacked anything in the final third, didn't they? They were worryingly poor. Kazim Richards, I completely forgot he was on the pitch, and you yeah. know he played the full ninety minutes. Ditto Martin Waghorn. It's just worrying, isn't it?
2: It is. There's, there's problems all over the pitch. In the last fifteen minutes of games, for example, Derby have dropped fourteen points, which I laugh. Wow. I laugh, and it hurts inside. Um, and this is going to hurt even more. They'd be they'd be in twelfth position had they had they lasted, and that's over a ten game spread. Uh, it tells you two things one the players aren't good enough and two they can't concentrate for the full game
1: it's a brutal assessment but probably quite accurate unfortunately I mean you could make the case that their attention might not be fully on the game when they're not being paid the full wages but we'll get onto that a mm. bit later on worth pointing out Rotherham and Derby are playing again in two weeks time as well so you'll have that to look forward to
2: it's one more point Richie Barker the assistant manager for Rotherham wore shorts the whole way through the game
1: that is hard that is as hard as it gets I went out for a walk yesterday and I was freezing my nuts off and I was wearing two layers mm-hmm. on my legs mm-hmm. and still I, would, I could not think of anything worse than shorts unless he's got ridiculously hairy legs. Has he got ridiculously hairy legs?
2: I couldn't see but there could be another investigation on the here. We'll
1: look into it. So, we were just talking about teams stuck near the bottom of the table, Justin. Forest don't seem to be one of them anymore. They're unbeaten in six league games now after beating Millwall 3-1. Stephen Topless is from the Forest Ramble. What did you make of the game yesterday, Stephen?
5: I think the game was one of Forest's most complete performances of the season. Uh, they, They were better than Millwall in pretty much every department. They defensively had to be on their game with, obviously, the aerial threat... the power that Millwall have in their team. Um, Midfield in particular, Cafu and Ryan Yates were very good um, and made life difficult for Millwall. And then up front, we were clinical, taking our chances, which is something that we haven't done a great deal of this season. And we actually got the goals yesterday to, to back up the performance.
1: Yeah, Sammy Amiobi was the man who stole the headlines after scoring two, but the person I wanted to ask you about was Alex Mighton. He's just a young lad who's really broke to the first team this season. How impressed have you been with him over the past few weeks?
5: I feel that Mighton has really stepped up in the last month or so. Uh, up until now, he's been in and out of the team this season, but he's he's been given a chance by Chris Hutton in the in the last couple of games. and he is he's really starting to develop now he he's showing more intelligence with his passing um he's learning when to cut back he's developing the confidence to to trick and try and beat players and he's also got that pace and that directness to really worry defenses and we don't have a lot of that in the forest team so from that point of view he's a real asset and i think Two standout moments for him were obviously the setup for Amiobi's goal, lovely little touch off to the side, and Amiobi curled it into the top corner, and also a nice bit of skill against the Millwall right back. A little nutmeg that led to another chance, which fortunately didn't quite come off, but been really impressed with Myson.
1: And finally, Stephen, in last week's episode, I picked Forrest as the team who will uh, Go up the most places in the championship in the second half of the season. Uh, what do you make of that? Do you do you agree?
5: I think that's a fair comment. Um, the The win over Millwall takes our unbeaten run to six games in the championship and seven if you include the FA Cup win over Cardiff. So we've started to to build some form and and turn a corner particularly under Hewton now. I think he's, he's starting to put his stamp on the team and the the players are starting to respond to his methods. I mean, in that in that run of seven games unbeaten, we've only conceded three goals. So defensively, we've tightened up. We look more of a threat in attack, more clinical. And he seems to have now got that right balance in the midfield with Cafu and Yates in there who are... Um, at the moment being the the real standout performers. So I think overall, overall the players are responding to Hewton and they're now starting to build some momentum, which will hopefully continue into the second half of the season.
1: Cheers, Stephen. Yeah, the mood has suddenly turned at the city ground very quickly and Forest seemed to be on the up. Uh, Martin on Twitter called the performance solid uh, and well, On Twitter, ladies and gentlemen, we have this thing where we it's called One Word Reviews, where we give fans the option to give us one word to explain how their team did at the weekend. Some people have been just taking the piss out of it, quite frankly. Um, We've had Alex, who said McKenna is very good, all as one word. And we also have Joe, who said Scott McKenna can have my kids. (laughs) <laughs> so there's a lot of love for Scott McKenna in the uh, forest camp at the moment ju- uh, Justin, just quickly on the game Sammy Emiobi, the human Daddy Long's legs, had one of those games where he was just unplayable, it happens once every blue moon
4: where mm.
1: he's just unplayable, you can't get a hold on him he scored two one of them an absolute screamer but Alex Mighton had a brilliant game as well as Stephen was just saying he did a brilliant bit of skill which taught a Millwall defender a new one Forrester now 19th and it says a lot about how bad they were at the start of the season that they're still only 19th when they've gone a whole month without losing
2: yeah it's typical of the championship but we were just waiting for this of form weren't we it was going to happen it's you know, under Chris Hughton it's a it's a good squad, it just needed to start to click and it's finally started to click and and they're, they're moving you know there's a lot of fire fans they wanted Hughton uh, gone as well you know but yeah you know, two things up to the fickle supporters.
1: I can't believe there's anyone who wanted Chris Hughton yeah. gone. You as the the question you've got to ask when you want to manage your out is who are you realistically going to get in. Who's Chris Hewton. Yeah, exactly. Chris Hewton is one of the best managers at this level. Mm-hmm. And the fact that anyone wanted him out is just bizarre. Uh, Millwall we haven't really spoken about yet because they weren't very good here at all, were they? One win in five now as well. And questions continue to be asked about Gary Rowett as manager. Our friends from that Millwall podcast did a poll of Rowett in, Rowett out. Last time I checked, it was fifty-eight percent in, forty-two percent out. So, some are still willing to give him time, but that's a fairly large chunk of supporters who have had enough. What do you think?
2: Uh, it's so it's so hard because there was there was so much praise for Rowett and Millwall last season, and there was a lot of high hopes from me. Anyway, I th- I think I tipped him to finish quite high under under Gary Rowett because Gary Rowett's a, a functional manager. He's a, he's a blend between stylish football and. Um, organised football um, and I think Millwall needed that to take them to the next level unfortunately it's not really working out this season but there's a lot of issues there You know, defensively they're not as good as they've ever been this is probably the worst def- uh, defence they've had since they probably went down a few seasons or, 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 a fair while ago now and they're not scoring goals they're drawing too many games there's just too many big margins between, between teams and, and Millwall this season which isn't where we'd expect them to be
1: not at all Whenever a side who was expecting to challenge for the playoffs this season only wins one in 15, there's always going to be questions, isn't there? And I imagine Rarik probably accepts that. I'm quite split on whether I think he should go or not. The thing is, he's been messing around with the defence a lot and he can't seem to make up his mind on whether he wants a three at the back or four at the back. And I really think he needs to just settle on one formation because if you keep meddling and you don't get results, that's poor management. And hmm. in addition to that, They're seriously struggling to score goals. I think the style of play at Millwall can be a bit one-dimensional at times and it doesn't necessarily suit the players he's got. But having said all that, the reasons I think he should stay are because he's a good manager at this level, probably the best option Millwall have, and maybe expectations have been a bit too high after they nearly got in the playoffs last season. So I'd say he should probably stay, but the side is undoubtedly underperforming, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. And I think Rowan knows he's under pressure I was following a journalist uh, who was at the game and he he was saying that Rao was contesting every decision complaining that Samba had the ball for too long that just smells of a man under pressure just contesting everything moaning shouting he knows it
1: yeah definitely well let's have a break Justin after that we'll talk about wins for Birmingham Swansea and Luton It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk. In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of Classic Football Shirts here because they offer you Classic Football Shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the second tier podcast borough and birmingham met at the riverside stadium at saturday lunchtime borough had only lost once at home this season while birmingham had picked up one point from their last seven games so of course birmingham won one nil. we're joined on the show by johnny bullock from the borough breakdown podcast johnny we had to get you on the show because it gives us the chance to hear you say itour again but well, this was a thorough shithousing by itour's men wasn't it <laughs> You're absolutely
6: right It was a shithousery performance uh, But it's also known as You've been cranked as well So Aitor set his team up Very, very well They were good on the press They made things difficult for us In the transition And they thoroughly deserved the win To be honest You know, we didn't really create anything And they punished us When it mattered most uh, So I have no complaints on that but I appreciate a lot of fans uh, A point of finger of COVID the, Also the the training ground being locked down for the majority of the week and for last week as well. But I just think all in all, it was a bad performance. We won't remember it and uh, hopefully we can crack on for the rest of the season now.
1: You know, I was sat there watching this game and it looked like Middlesbrough were just really lacking something special in the final third. Would you say that's something they've been lacking all season?
6: I think from a Birmingham perspective, I think Eitel set his team up really well um, they limited this space and made it difficult for us to create clear-cut chances, to be honest. I think with Borough going forward this season, in the in full-season perspective, we've got better as the season's gone on. I uh, bring Duncan Watmore coming in and playing with a number 10 that creates space and allows the strikers to get in good positions has really helped us. Um, but I think yesterday was just a bad day at the office. But in terms of the full season, right, I think offensively, I think we're getting a lot better. We just need a bit more quality, especially on the Wings, I think. We just lack that, that spark sometimes and, you know, that's going to separate us from being in the playoffs and being mid-table this year if we have that extra quality, but I don't think we'll have it.
1: Well, there's still a couple of weeks left of the transfer window. Is there anyone you've been linked with and do you expect to strengthen in the next couple of weeks? You like to think so, wouldn't you? You like to think we'd strengthen
6: in this January window, but whether we do or not is quite unclear. Um, Brit's been linked away to Bournemouth around, what, three point five million, so as <laughs> you can imagine, that's a big financial loss for us, uh, given what we paid for him and what his wages have been. So, um, that'd be a shame to see him go, but it's uh, it's a good it'd be a good move for him. But then also, if the incoming's Conor Huraham was mentioned earlier in the week uh, with Swansea on that one. But then also, uh, we're looking for Campbell Grizek and Yannick yeah, like Balassi, but. I think they're unlikely transfers for us. Um, but let's see. I'd like, I like for us to strengthen, but whether we do or not,
1: uh, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, but I think I would like to see us uh, maybe add one or two players. Cheers, Johnny. Yeah, this followed a similar pattern to the majority of Birmingham's wins this season, where they score the first goal and then set up shop in their own box for the rest of the game. And it's not pretty, but it's bloody effective. Yep,
2: and that's 44 clean sheets for Karanka at Riverside now, which... Obviously, stems into his, uh, his his borough manager days as well, not just going there as an away manager. But yes, it, it was it was a performance that typifies Birmingham City away from home when they grabbed the first goal because to bring on a centre half, I think it was in like the fifty fifth minute or something.
1: Yeah, I noticed that they brought on that, Mark Roberts, didn't they? and took yeah. off a, their attacking midfielder. Yeah, they,
2: they took off John Thoreau. and um, it was an interesting move because Alan Halalovic was on the bench, but it, it, it worked and. Um, it wasn't until really the last 10 or 15 minutes where Borough managed to get back into creating chances again. and they you know, Birmingham City did give away some chances, but you know, it's t- typical Borough, really. They didn't take them.
1: Max Bradley on Twitter called the performance hard-working, for Birmingham that is, and uh, the discombobulated one on Twitter called it unexpected. Uh, I, I just think Borough just didn't know what to do from the moment they went behind. It looked like they really lacked that cutting edge in the final third who could really create chances they had a couple of decent chances in fairness but also didn't take them and that's been something we've said plenty of times about Middlesbrough isn't it but for Birmingham in fairness I thought this was their best performance in a while
2: oh a long time a long time and the goal was was fantastic and that's the only way you're going to get the best out of Scott Hogan is when your wide players are contributing if if Birmingham City's wide players aren't contributing I just don't think he's going to be in the game and the goal was 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 well worked. It was it was a really good move against a really good defense as well, and there just needs to be more of that. Again, the, the things that Birmingham City need to improve on is is getting that second goal to kill the game, so they can not have to bring on a defender for the fast uh, for the last thirty five minutes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a massive win though for Blues, who would have been looking over their shoulder a bit had they lost. Borough still seventh, but would have gone within a point of the playoffs with a win. So it's a missed opportunity, really. Swansea are second after beating Barnsley 2-0 Jamal Lowe getting on the score sheet again it's ridiculous a, a competitive game this Barnsley tested Woodman from far out but ultimately Swansea took their chances didn't they
2: yeah they did and I'll, I'll never get bored of repeating this stat but it's another win with a clean sheet for Swansea that's 12 this season 12 out of the 13 wins have come with a clean sheet which is unreal they're, they're a class above uh, a lot of teams in this in this division in terms of how they manage games um, and they came up against a good Barnsley side uh, an energetic Barnsley side as well and they managed them really well effectively and it worked and as you say it's a clinical a clinical side Jamal Lowe's got seven in seven and this is a squad that's lost three players this transfer window in in loans going back to the parent clubs Loanies going back to the parent clubs and it, they still excel which is
1: unreal Thomas Davies on Twitter called the performance solid Jeremy Thomas called the performance brick shithouse clean sheet. So there you go. Is that one word? Uh, Yeah, one word, obviously. Swansea (laughs) have got the second best defensive record after 24 games in championship history. Only the Reading side from 2005-06 had conceded fewer goals at this point. Look, we've spoken about Swansea's defence loads this season. It's incredible. And has been the bedrock behind their promotion challenge this season. One player who's part in it that doesn't get spoken about enough by us or indeed Swansea fans is Jay Fulton who has been playing out of his skin over the last couple of months in the middle of the park for the Swans he's become one of their most important players this season the energy he provides in midfield and just his pure ability to win the ball back has been up there with anyone else in the league the whole Swansea side has stepped up a gear this season and he's perhaps taken a bigger step up than anyone else he deserves a lot of credit for how well the Swans are doing at the moment. Uh, In fairness to Barnsley, they put in a good shift here, didn't they? Struggled to create any golden chances, as I said a minute ago. They had a fair few shots from distance, which kept Freddie Woodman busy in the Swansea goal, including Callum Britton's strike. Oh, wow. If, If that went in, we're talking, without a doubt, goal of the season contender. Even winner, maybe. But mm-hmm. Woodman pulls off an equally amazing save. It was just all-round great football to watch. Uh, but, but, honestly, they only seem to lose to sides at the very top of the league. They haven't drawn a game since October. And then since the start of last month, they've lost to Swansea twice, Bournemouth, Norwich, everyone else they've beaten. I suppose if you could choose who you lose against, it would be the sides near the top. But it's a bit weird, isn't it?
2: It probably tells you where Barnsley are at right now, um, obviously they've come up against better side as you say, they've only won 3 points out of 24 against sides in the top 6, uh, so you're probably thinking it might be a season too soon for them to to try and bridge that gap to get into the top, top 6 maybe, but they're a team that have the potential to grow, they've got the ability to bring in players, obviously Colton Morris came in for, for Barnsley, um, uh, another striker which is which is really good for them and they just got to find ways to to break teams down. It's going to be difficult against a Swansea team that are this good um, defensively.
1: I agree with what you were saying about the playoffs, but I would still not rule them out about getting in the top six because once they get going, well, I mean, they're still going now, this loss will hopefully just be a blip to what has been a tremendous... um, start under Valerie and Ishmael's reign. Uh, There was a shock at the Vitality Stadium as Bournemouth lost 1-0 to Luton. Luton's first away win since November. But it's perhaps not as much of a shock when you learn Jefferson Lerma was sent off for Bournemouth in the 26th minute. Now, we go on about referees a (laughs) lot on this show, Justin, but how is this a red card? Just for anyone who hasn't seen it, Lerma's gone up for a header And as he's gone up, a Luton player's nudged him, meaning he's lost control and he's falling backwards. As he falls back, he puts his arm out to, you know, protect himself from falling flat on the back of his head. But one of his hands hits a Luton player in the face and he gets sent off for it. It's not a red card in a million years. I just can't see what the referee was thinking.
2: Um, I think, firstly, it's a contact sport, so contact's going to happen, whether it's... You know, majority of it is accidental. Unless you're going to tackle someone to get the ball, then it's then it's not accidental. There's nothing about that little phase of um, you know Lerma, There's nothing about that sorry that is deliberate. The the only thing that is a a, a foul is the foul on Lerma, which has made him fly through the air. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that that that's a foul. It's not it's not a red card. I, I hope it gets rescinded.
1: You you say you hope that red card will be. Rescinded. I imagine it probably will be, but it has ultimately cost Bournemouth getting anything out of this game. In fairness, they were probably still the better team. But nonetheless, you'd I thought that if they had 11 men for the entirety of this game, then they would have at least got something. But let's not take any, anything away from Luton. They still managed to get three points at the Vitality Stadium, which if you offered them at that the start of the day, well, they, they would have ripped your hand off. Kiernan Dewsby Hall got the goal He's just incredible. I love the boy. I've spoken about him plenty of times before. He is a true, true talent. Luton's best player in this game. There was talk of him being recalled by Leicester, but the deadline for that has now passed, which is massive news for them because he is a remarkable player. And as I say, he's been one of Luton's best players, if not the best player for them this season. So keeping him is going to be massive for whatever they hope to achieve this season and I fully expect him to go on to better things once he does leave Kenilworth Road. Uh, anything you want to say from a Luton perspective?
2: Their the away form has been good under Nathan Jones. The last eight away wins have all been with a clean sheet and seven have been one goal to nil. I think if that red card doesn't happen, it, it 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 does change the game. But you know, there's no doubt that Nathan Jones has shifted this Luton team completely compared to last season.
1: Watford two, Huddersfield nil. A very comfortable win for Watford in the end. The first goal was absolutely hilarious. It was uh, so. For anyone who's not seen it, first off, I urge you to try and hunt out this goal because it is amazing. The ball gets played back to the Huddersfield goalkeeper, Ryan Schofield, who just seems to pause. And it was like on FIFA when your controller stops stops working. It was like that. I have no idea what on earth was going through his head. But Tom Cleverley has managed to get to the ball before him and slide tackle it into the goal. It was a remarkable piece of football. And honestly, just search it out. It it will make your day. But apart from uh, Ward and Pereira, for Huddersfield the rest of their bench was made up of academy players they also started a few academy players as well so it was a bit of a depleted team from a Huddersfield perspective nonetheless Watford had a job to do and they did it very professionally didn't they
2: yeah that's more like it from Watford they, they played with a lot more energy more drive and individuals took initiative there was one play where Tom Cleverley, it didn't result in a the goal there was one play where Tom Cleverley ran through the Huddersfield midfield in the first half and created a transfer um for Saar, who um, forced a save out of Schofield, and that's what they've been missing. They've missed. They've been missing that just someone taking ownership uh, of the ball, uh, and it was really good to see. And I, I tell you why I love that first Watford goal more than any other goal this weekend. It's because the determination on Tom Cleverley's face to get to that ball was exactly what Watford have needed for the last few weeks.
1: You say that, but he has also been helped by Ryan yeah, yeah, Schofield. That,
2: he's still got a lot of work to do.
1: Has he? He's
2: got to. He's got to get there before Schofield. If Schofield's not frozen for whatever reason, it was cold day, um, he would have got there first.
1: He was frozen in time. I I will never get tired of seeing that goal because it is amazing. (laughs) I just have no idea what happened. Uh, Just quickly on Huddersfield, they've now got the second worst goals against record in the championship, which kind of surprised me because... I'd never put them down as a particularly defensively leaky team, but I suppose when they are pressing as much as they do, they are going to concede quite a few goals, aren't they, at times? I mean, it's what we've seen with Leeds this season in the Premier League. Obviously, Corbran did work with Bielsa at Leeds last season, and they've conceded quite a few goals as well. So until you really manage to master the art of the press, then at times you are going to concede quite a few goals, aren't they?
2: Yeah, and I don't think the players that corbrand has got there are the players that he wants to play with it. Like for example he's playing Stim and uh you know, he's not a ball playing defender at the back. They make a lot of mistakes at the back as well, as we saw. <laughs> um mm-hmm. so there's there's clearly going to be a transition over the next year, year uh, year or two. Um so I, I fully expect him to, to improve, but it is a it is a strange statistic given how much praise we've given them really.
1: Yeah. Finally, Isco Munoz, the Watford manager, says he's got the best strikers in the league. You having that? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. I think in terms of name value, Troy Deeney, Andre Gray, they probably are. But in terms of their actual performances on the pitch, which is arguably more important, you have to say absolutely not. I think he's just trying to build a bit of confidence there, isn't he? Right, now it's time for this. yes it's time for the news and there is a lot of news this week mostly derby related so sit tight listener we'll start with the good from pride park derby have appointed wayne rooney as the permanent manager after a spell of being caretaker right decision
2: uh yes yes i think so i think maybe a more experienced manager might have been might have suited derby in this situation especially with the Stuff going on behind the scenes, which we'll move on to shortly. But yeah, I think it's the right move. They needed a they need a permanent manager to, to settle the team. You can tell that a lot of the talk was around obviously the uncertainty with the takeover and the uncertainty with the managerial position. Getting rid of one of those uncertainties is, is certainly going to help.
1: He's definitely turned the corner, Anti Rooney with Derby. They're scoring more, only just. They're still the lowest scorers in the league, but they're looking better than they were under Cocker early in the season. And defensively, they're without a doubt much more solid. And they've also won more points. So he's improved in that respect, but there's still a long way to go before... Well, the Derby is safe for a start and, well, things could be a lot worse very soon because the Telegraph claims there's a genuine threat of Derby going into administration if their takeover isn't sorted out soon. Money in the bank is said to be very low, which has reportedly led to the club trying to get another loan and the players still haven't been paid their full wages from last month. Sky Sports says the club will be looking to sell their young players to try and bring in some cash. For regular listeners of the show, you'll be aware that this takeover by a group headed up by an Abu Dhabi Sheikh has been dragging on for months and the whole situation has gone from concerning to an absolute shambles, Justin.
2: I tell you what we should do. We should we should have a little segment, a short ten second segment called Have Darby been taken over yet? Because we do mention it most weekends. It does prop up and that just gives you an indication of how laughable the situation is.
1: Hmm. well the thing is the word coming from journalists who have sources at the club they were saying the takeover was imminent and this was going on for ages you mean like okay journalists sources might not be 100 percent correct but derby released a statement themselves saying the takeover was going to be done before christmas yep and for anyone who's not aware christmas was last month and we're now nearly a whole month since christmas and it's still not been sorted out it brings me back to asking the question about how Derby fans view the owner, Mel Morris. Because for years now, Derby fans have been telling fans of other championship clubs that Mel Morris has them on strings. Does he have other clubs on strings? Or does he actually have the Derby fans on strings?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I struggle to see how any Derby fan can look back on Mel Morris's tenure as an owner and say he was good for the club. Years of unsustainable spending, poor recruitment... Bizarre managerial appointments, sackings and the state of things now where players haven't been fully paid and the club is at risk of going into administration. What good owner would let this happen to a club? It's a mess. And Mel Morris seems to get away with it because he's from Derby. Wake up, people. This isn't the greatest of starts for these new owners. If the deal ever does happen, from the sounds of it, the deal has got to happen. Otherwise, the club's going down the pan. It is a real sorry state of affairs and I'm here pulling my hair out because we're talking about Derby County, one of the biggest clubs outside of the Premier League in terms of fan base and history. And they're being dragged through the mud at the moment, aren't they?
2: They've been running to the ground, simple as that. Um, you know, Mel Morris for, for all, I mean, I, I've criticised him massively. Yeah, we released a, a, a voice note not too long ago where I got pelters from Derby fans for criticising Mel Morris and the the mood on Mel Morris has shifted completely. Yep, he's invested in the team and the club, but at no point have Derby had a plan. There's been nothing. The academy had investment, but now we have to sell the academy players to make ends meet. It's uh, it's pathetic.
1: It is. It really is. And you've invested all this money into the academy, as you say no reason apart from to raise a bit of funds by uh selling off all the best kids it's it's an absolute joke it really is Uh, Let's move on from Derby for a bit, Justin. The EFL has urged clubs to properly investigate and sanction any individual transgressions where appropriate concerning coronavirus protocol breaches and has told players to exercise constraints when celebrating goals. I know this has been a big talking point for the last week or so of players celebrating goals. I mean, it doesn't make much sense to me, Justin, if I'm completely honest. I thought all the players had tested for COVID beforehand, so what's the point in them not being able to celebrate together I mean whatever um carrying on with coronavirus breaches James McLean has been suspended by Stoke for an alleged breach of regulations it's after he posted a video on his Instagram of him training in a private gym then Nick Powell referenced it in his goal celebration for Stoke yesterday superb shit housing there from you Mr love Pal love uh, transfer news Justin of course we are halfway through the transfer window now and it's getting very busy unfortunately we don't have time to go through every deal we'd love to but these are just the main ones that have happened over the past week Stoker brought in Spurs winger Jack Clark on loan until the end of the season Justin I will be honest I've never particularly got Jack Clark
2: no me neither I saw obviously I saw Jack Clark tear Craig Bryson a new one uh, in a game against Derby a few years ago. But that was it. That's all I've seen. Um, The Leeds have pulled Spurs' pants down with him, I think.
1: I kind of agree. I do think with Jack Clark, there is a bit of an air of he was massively hyped up by Leeds fans. And from there, his reputation has kind of got a lot higher than his actual talent and that's not to say he's not a bad player and won't go on to be a good player i just haven't seen anything that says he is a championship winger if you know what i mean because yeah. when he was at leeds i think he started two games at most in the league in a the season just before he got sold and then when he was at qpr on loan last season he barely featured mm-hmm. for whatever reason so The idea of him going to Stoke now and getting them into the playoffs, I just just can't see happening. I really can't. Uh, Preston have signed Doncaster midfielder Ben Whiteman. A massive signing because he has been sensational in League One this season. He's a quality all-round midfielder and it surprises me, really, that more clubs weren't after him. I think there were quite a few linked with him, but... Preston have won the race for him. I'm very impressed with this move and I think it's a real statement of intent from Preston and we've been critical of the club hierarchy and Lord knows the fans have been as well over the lack of signings they've made in recent years and this year, so far, they've gone crazy with signings. I mean, there's still gaps to fill but they've got Alan Brown signing a new contract as well. They've started to get things done and fair play to them. This Whiteman signing is a real, real eye-opener so far.
2: It is and... I think people just need to understand that there is talent down in the lower leagues. Perhaps one and a half million might have been a bit too much for him. Maybe. I, so. I, I, I do he... really, I do really, really like him. I, I, the other thing is, I just hope that Neil doesn't stifle his creativity because he's a very creative, energetic midfielder as well.
1: The thing is, he's still a young lad. So I think yeah. one and a half million could turn out to be a, a remarkable bit of business. Uh, speaking of lower league signings, Cardiff brought in Crawley striker Max Waters. was just talking to Tom about him a minute ago. 21-year-old who scored 13 goals in 15 games in League Two this season, averaging a goal every 79 minutes. So he knows where the back of the net is. Uh, QPR winger Bright say Samuel has signed a pre-contract agreement with Turkish side Fenerbahce, meaning he'll leave at the end of the season. I'm kind of in two minds about this really, Justin, because... I think for him, it's a good move because I think the Turkish league is probably a similar kind of standard to the championship, really. So he'll have a chance there to really develop his game before moving on in the next step of his career. For QPR, um, I think they needed something to happen, didn't they? Because Bryce Samuel clearly wasn't happy. So at least we know where his future lies now. But they are losing out on a very, very talented player, aren't they?
2: Yeah, a talented player, a, a good fee for a talented player as well but the the other side of the coin is they get him for the rest of the season which is a positive and with things cleared up you'd hope that the shackles come off him and he can, he can really start to play without the, the burden of not knowing where he's going to be over the next six, seven months.
1: Or it could have the adverse effect where he doesn't care about playing computer <laughs> anymore. Um, left-back Reese Norrington-Davies has gone to Stoke on loan after being recalled from his spell at Luton. I was quite upset about that because he was doing mm. quite well at Luton. But the thing is, as well, Stoke have got at least five players who can play at left-back. so yeah,
4: Doesn't <laughs> and, make sense.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure they particularly need him, but... There you go. Uh, Andre Green has gone to Wednesday. The winger has been a free agent since being released by Villa in the summer. A bit of a strange one because since he's been released, I kind of expected him to be picked up quite qu- quickly by someone in the EFL. So it's surprised me that it's taken this long for someone to sign him up. But he's a fairly decent player, isn't he?
2: On a free transfer as well. It's It's, it's a bargain, I think. Hopefully, if Wednesday play with wingers, because they play wing-backs, they just don't want him to go to wing-back. Because um, mm. Kadeem Harris does well there, and so does Adam Reach. And you just hope that they don't stifle that ability he's got to uh, to get at the players by giving him the defensive responsibility as well.
1: Mm. Hopefully, he makes another step in his career. Cause he was, was he on loan at Charlton last season? That's right, Charlton isn't? and
2: Preston, yeah.
1: Yeah, and neither move particularly worked Stopped. out for him. So, I mean, we are talking about a lad who... Played in the playoff final for Villa a couple of seasons ago, so he's clearly a good player. It's just about getting the best out of him. Uh, And final bit of news from this week. Cardiff defender Sol Bamba has started chemotherapy after being diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. mentioned it a bit early on. But from the second tier, we wish you all the best, Sol. Right, Justin, now it's time for the polls. So this is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter to see what you guys are thinking at the moment. So the first question we asked was, firstly, could anyone outside of the bottom four get relegated this season? Yes or no, Justin?
2: I don't think they will. I think the bottom four, as I mentioned earlier, quite clearly the worst teams in the league, with maybe Rotherham have the ability to, to push up a little bit higher. But I think that bottom four will be the bottom four this season.
1: Well, 80% said yes. So could anyone outside of the bottom four get relegated this season? So they think someone else could get dragged into it. I mean, we have got to say it's only five points at the moment, which is the gap between the bottom four and the rest of the championship. And we've seen in previous seasons, teams just cannonball down the table. So there's always the possibility. But I agree with you. I think those four teams are just so poor compared to the rest of the division and have got... Far few positives compared to other teams. Uh, After Isco Munoz said Watford have the best strikers in the championship, do Watford have the best strikers in the championship? Yes or no?
2: I've already said no.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 88% said no. Uh, 12% said yes. I wonder how many of them are Watford fans. And the final poll we asked who is the best wrestler ever? Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Stone Cold, or Undertaker?
2: Why is Shawn Michaels not in there?
1: You can only have four. People were saying The I'm Rock saying. as well. I was like, oh, come on, guys. I've only got four, and I've picked the best four, in my opinion. So who are you going with? Uh, Hulk, Hogan. Hulk Hogan. You yes. got Hulk Hogan. 8% yeah. said Hulk Hogan, which is not many at all, considering mm. he is... The first person you think of when you think of wrestling, I suppose, really. Undertaker won with 46%. Stone Cold got 41%. So there you go. I'd have gone Stone Cold because I love Stone Cold, Steve Austin. And that is the polls. So we'll have a few more of them next week in next week's episode. But now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for this.
5: Hi, Simon Grayson Edge.
1: So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show. Ryan Hildred from Rovers Chat and Jack Dawson from the Bristol City podcast BS3 Talk. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name 8-8 of a certain subject all they've got to do is work together to name all eight so for example if I were to say name the eight most northern teams in the championship and Justin would say Middlesbrough that's one down and Jack would say Preston that's another down but if Ryan would say Bournemouth then he'd be out so what you need to do gents is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated you both played this before haven't you we have yeah lovely yeah well then the question this week is about the one and only Wayne Rooney England and Manchester's United's all time goalscorer. He's of course retired to become manager of Derby. So it's gotta be brain really related, I'm afraid. He's been managed by eight non English managers in his career. Can you name them? Don't worry about when he was in over in America. We're not counting that because you'll never get it in a million years. Um and, it's from, and he's been playing in England and for England. So non-eight English managers he's been managed by. Oh, and it's only permanent managers as well. So we shall start off with the one and only Justin Peach. Justin, can you name me a non-English manager Wayne Rooney has been managed by? I'm
2: going to get one of the hard ones out of the way. It was at Everton. So I'm going to go with Ronald Koeman.
1: Ronald Koeman is absolutely correct. He managed him for just three months at Everton. Ryan, we'll go to you next. He so said England counts, yeah? Yep. So I'll go Fabio Capello. Absolutely right. Capello was in charge of England when Rooney was captain. Jack? I'm going to go Philip Cocu, uh, Derby. Spot on. Philip Koku, of course, in charge when he was at Derby. Justin, back to you. The
2: one and only Sven-Goran Eriksson.
1: Sven-Goran Eriksson gave him his England debut. So you're absolutely flying at the moment. You've got four to go. Ryan, your go. I'm going to go Louis van Gaal. Yep, yeah, in charge of him for two seasons at Manchester United. Jack, back to you. David Moyes I want to go for. Yep, David Moyes gave him his debut for Everton and also managed him at Man United, of course, which went exceedingly well. You've got two left. I feel like you should get this. Surely you're going to get this, Justin.
2: Well, I know the obvious one. But I'm going to go with Marco Silva because that's the hard one.
1: Marco Silva is incorrect. He wasn't in charge of him. I presume you're thinking at Everton. Yep, yep, yep. Yep, you'd be wrong. Uh, Ryan, back to you. So I think this is right. It could be wrong though. Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho, of course. Managed him for a season at Manchester United. That means you've got one left. It's between Jack and Ryan. All you got to do is just name the final manager. Jack, who is it?
3: Sir Alex. I don't know if he's been said, but
1: yes, that's absolutely right. I can't believe you got left till last. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> how did we leave that to the end? I was, I was saying, like, why has no one said Sir Alex Ferguson yet?
4: David
1: Moyes just...
3: got the Scottish knob before Sir Alex.
1: We just did well, said Marco Silva before well, Alex I... Ferguson.
2: I know, I know, Sir Alex was the um, the easy one. so I thought. I got the wrong Portuguese, man. <laughs> got Marco service over me, yeah.
1: Well, there you we got are. it absolutely right. So, well done, chaps. Two of you still in the game, and you managed to get all eight of Simon Grayson's hateful eight. Well done. How do you feel, Jack? I feel I think we've just about made amends
3: for last time, to be honest. I think we're about, about par now from the two. Ryan, are you equally as happy?
0: Yeah, I'm ecstatic. I'm not going to lie. This was the most nervous part of coming on the show today, <laughs> so I'm buzzing. That's set
1: me up for the day now there we go well done chaps well we're going to be back again for the midweek games this week so we'll be bringing you another episode on thursday until that this has been the second tier podcast thanks to our guest today jack dawson from the bristol city podcast bs3 talk thank you for your time today thank you very much enjoyed being on pleasure as always no problem ryan hildred from rovers chat thank you for your time today thanks ryan and, and thanks justin as well thanks both No problem. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilkes. I've been Jesse Peach. Thank you for listening.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable.